You do not want to miss this discussion about the top five regrets of the dying. Are you an entrepreneur who's looking for motivation, strategy, and tactical guidance on taking your business to the next level? Do you like surrounding yourself with action takers who know what it takes to win? If so, you're in the right place. My name is Josh Thomas, and I'm your host. Join me as I speak with some of the greatest business minds on the planet. Welcome to the Do Zone. Try not to become a man of success. Rather, become a man of value. Albert Einstein. DZ Tried, Josh Thomas, glad to have you. Be sure and follow and subscribe to the Do Zone podcast on Apple or Spotify. This podcast is brought to you by Unbreakable Teams. We fix broken systems for entrepreneurs so they can go farther faster. Learn more by going to unbreakableteams.com. Once again, that's unbreakableteams.com. Today's guest is Gregory Benedict. Gregory is a human potential coach who specializes in helping people embark on the adventure of their life. This looks like getting clear on what their biggest dreams are and peeling back the layers of what's getting in the way. Gregory, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. Hey, Josh. Hey, everybody. I am grateful and excited to be here. And what comes to mind when you ask that is actually the quote I shared that got us into this conversation. You accrue incremental wisdom as you implement your flawed plan. And so the advice that I think most people don't think of is that you can get started, even though your plan isn't perfect, even though it's flawed, and getting started is the only way that your plan is actually going to get better. Spoken like a genius. Who said that? Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Pretty smart guy. He is an actual genius. Yes. He's an actual genius. And so this is a variation of, you know, a perfect uh, action is better. Imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. You know, there's there's all kinds of variations of that. And that's the thing that's come up on this podcast before, because this is the do zone. This is about doing things. This is about taking action. And action, it's messy, man. Super messy. Tell me about some messy situations you've been in, but you took action anyway. One of the messiest, and I have to give a little context here. I studied finance in school. I thought working in private equity was going to be my dream. And the mess began when I realized that I actually didn't want to do that. I was feeling really unfulfilled, uninspired with my life. And one of the messiest moments that I can remember is going to my dad and saying, not only do I not want to work in finance anymore, but I have absolutely no idea what I want to do next. And I'm going to quit my job in two weeks. Wow. And what did your dad say? He had been through a similar but different iteration of that. The first time I quit my job was switching from financial services consulting to more strictly finance. I was an analyst at a real estate investment firm. And that one made a little more sense because I had a plan. And then this time I came to him without a plan. And to his credit, he handled it really well. He took it in, asked some questions, and ultimately was supportive because he knew that I would figure it out. But man, 
at first it was definitely a okay but what are you going to do with your life i have no idea <laughs> you yeah, know that it, was part of the plan sometimes sometimes confidence is really the key to success in any situation because what did what what did happen there at least in the way you delivered it to this audience what did happen there was you delivered it with conviction you said dad i don't know what i want to do but i want to quit my job and i'm going to do it in the next 2 weeks and i don't have a backup plan and it's almost like the confidence of how you said that is kind of like well okay <laughs> what are you supposed to say to that but when you lack that confidence that's when people kind of swoop into kind of savior mode and like well gregory i mean you know if you'd approached him at any like ah, you know dad i'm not not really sure what i want to do you know should i keep my job should i quit my job that's when we swoop in and we try to make sure that we've got your bases covered like well look gregory you got a paycheck hang on to your paycheck till you figure out what you want to do totally great advice nothing nobody nobody ever got put into doghouse by giving that advice you know like 100%. nobody ever got fired for buying ibm they say yes yes and I think what comes up for me in that it's a realization I had recently is that as a parent, you want your kids to be happy. Absolutely. But you want them to be safe and secure and you're going to prioritize them being okay on their own above their own happiness. At least that's what I think. And I know that's going to happen when I'm a parent. The safety of your child, knowing that they're going to be okay if something happened to you is probably more important than their day-to-day excitement and fulfillment in their job yeah because uh you know when when you're on your deathbed nobody's going to pat you on the back for how much time you spent working or how dedicated you were to that job you yeah had. including Absolutely. the people that you're working for 100 and i'm sure we'll get into this this will come up at some point throughout our conversation but i'm a huge fan of the research on the top five regrets of the dying. And that actually was a huge catalyst into me quitting my job in finance and then embarking on this big adventure to find out what it is that really makes me come alive. What makes you come alive from the perspective of someone who's dying? Interesting. And so I want to know, for those of us who are not familiar, and I'm not so familiar myself, what are the top five regrets of dying? Great question. The top five regrets of the dying, they were popularized by a woman named Bronnie Ware. And she worked as a palliative care nurse, helping people in the end of life. And over the course of her working with 500 of her patients, she realized that not only do people have regrets at the end of their life, but nearly everyone has the same five regrets. And it was the number one regret of the dying that really punched me in the face when I heard it and caused me to embark on this big journey. And the number one regret of the dying is, I wish I would have had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Hmm. There, there is probably volumes, libraries full of books that can be written on that topic alone. And I'd like to dive into that a little bit more. But could you first, first tell me why is that the one that stood out to you and then I want to hear the rest of them as well. Yeah. So why it stood out to me was the night before, setting a little context here, I was in Tokyo, Japan. And the night before, 
I went out with my friends, some of my best friends from school to a karaoke bar. Not even a karaoke bar, it was a karaoke hotel, which is this hotel room. It's this hotel with tons of little karaoke rooms in it. And basically, to make a long story short, we had a big night. I woke up the next morning and I was violently hungover. So I'm sitting in the hostel lobby trying to put myself back together, drinking copious amounts of green tea. And I'm listening to this and I realized when she said that, when she said the number one regret of the dying, that I was living a life that others expected of me. I was wearing a mask. I wasn't showing the world who my true self was. And one of the biggest things I was still doing is I was still partying all the time. My friends loved Party Greg. We met in college. That was the context in which they knew me. And I had since really stopped liking drinking. I didn't want to do it anymore. It wasn't making my body feel good, but I was still doing it for other people. And then in that moment, I also realized, oh, wow, I actually, I've, I had known this for a while. I actually hate my job in finance. I'm still doing that because it looks good on paper. My parents are proud of me. And I wasn't having the courage to live a life true to myself and that I knew I wanted to do something with personal development, with helping other people realize their potential. I knew I wanted to be some sort of life coach, but I wasn't having the courage to take that first step and do that. Mm. Man, so strong. What about the uh, the next few rules? Uh, because I know that that definitely hits me deep. I wish I would have had the courage to live the life. Uh, I didn't remember the exact wording, but on, on my own terms, instead of the expectations of others, more or less, is that... That so is exactly, exactly okay. correct. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that I need to probably set aside an entire podcast episode just about that. Uh, Cause that, that just hit me. I'd never actually heard these before you shared them with me. Uh, but, but let's, let's keep moving. What's, what's number two, three, four, and five. Yeah. Two through five. I'm less familiar with the order, so I might get them wrong. But okay. one of the big ones is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. It's what you said. No one gets to the end of their life and they're like, dang, I really wish I worked more overtime. I spent more days in the office. Mm. It's not one of them. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my true feelings. I think especially as men, a lot of us go through life pushing it all down, never telling people how deeply we care about them and how much they've impacted us. And again, this is a huge stereotype, but men in particular, from my experience, have a little bit tougher of a time talking about emotions. There's, I wish I would have stayed connected with my friends. That's a big one. And then the last one is, I think that's five. I might be missing one, but this one always gets me. I wish I would have let myself be happier. Mm. Wow. And I, I wonder, to a certain extent, these all seem kind of interconnected in a way. And what I hear is somebody or something has had so much influence on me that I allowed this external force, whatever it may be, wherever it may have come from, to control the direction of my life in some way. That's yeah. what I hear when I hear these rules. I wish I would have had the courage to live my own life instead of through others' expectations. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my true feelings. I wish I would have stayed connected with my friends. I wish I would have let myself be happier. 
Why didn't you? That's the follow-up question. Not this, I'm not going to be like beating up on your grandma in hospice and be like, well, why didn't you? But it's the question that we want to ask ourselves before we're there. If I'm going to be sitting on my deathbed and having these regrets, my question is, why do I have that regret? And what can I do about it now to make it go away? Have you ever given any thought to that, Greg? Uh, Gregory? Uh, what can somebody do right now to make sure they don't have one or more of those regrets of, as they're dying? Yeah. Step one is really thinking about those and trying to apply them to your own life. Run a thought experiment. If you were going to die in six months from now, would you go to your deathbed with these regrets? Would you be haunted by these regrets? So that's one thing. Another thing, we live in this world where it's a constant dance between being realistic and doing things that work in the society we have. And then on the other hand, I think it's really important. This is what helps me. Zoom way, 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 way out on your life and realize that you get one shot at this grand adventure called life. At the end, no one's going to remember you. Even if you're super, super famous, 200 years, 300 years, no one's going to remember you at all. Your legacy will probably have ended. And so what do you want to do with this, this trial run you get, this adventure? And again, it's the, for me, what's helpful, it's the zooming out and realizing how absurd it all is at sometimes. There's this quote, you're a ghost piloting a meat-covered skeleton on a rock hurtling through space at 60,000 miles per hour. You can do anything. And for me, it's realizing that it's all so absurd and that we can really do anything. So why get bogged down in the details of, oh, I gotta be realistic. I have to do this thing. And again, there's lots of times where you have to hunker down and do the work and make money and pay the bills and do all of that. But there's so much more. So reminding yourself of how much more there is, is always helpful for me. You know, there's a, uh, there's a cemetery here in Austin. I'm in Austin, Texas. And, uh, the, there's an Austin cemetery that's right in the middle of downtown. And it used to be an insane, uh, insane asylum, uh, probably in the 1800s, I believe. And it was at the time really far out of town, like way out in the farm. Now it's like right in the heart. And Austin is a very condensed city. The, the property is very high value. It's very expensive. But there's this giant patch. I would call it at least 10 acres that is just grass. And the reason that it's just grass, it's undeveloped. There's nothing on it. The reason that it's grass is because there was this insane asylum there 150 years ago. And when the people would die, they would go and bury them out in the cemetery and they would put up this wooden cross with sometimes not even a name, just a couple, just like a number. And over 150 years, all of that wood has rotted away and gone. There's a couple of little stones here and there, like kind of epitaphs, if you will, but, but very sparse. The problem is uh, one of those people who uh, is buried in this cemetery 
is a former governor of Texas, Francis Richard Lubbock, uh, for which the city of Lubbock, Texas, is named after. And so later in life, uh, he kind of uh, came down with dementia and his family didn't know what to do with him. So they sent him to this asylum and then he died there. And so a former governor of Texas dies at this uh, asylum. He gets buried with no grave marker. And so he's there and he is basically forgotten, except for the fact that he was a governor. And so because he was a governor, he's a piece of Texas history and that must be protected. And so they can't do anything with the land. They can't develop it or anything uh, because of all of the people that are buried there and forgotten. And, and if you think about it, the only reason probably the only reason that there's 10 acres of undeveloped grass in the middle of Austin, Texas, is because one of the people buried there used to be the governor of the state. Because if he wasn't there, that thing would be a condominium development by now. And so it really puts things in perspective about, you know, I would say the last person to be buried there probably was buried there a hundred years ago. Nobody knows who they are. We only, we only know who one of them is. <laughs> And we don't know where he is. He was buried with a little wooden cross and he was forgotten. Technically, he was not forgotten, but in the minds and spirits of everybody, he no longer exists. And that's where you are. You only have this moment. And if we are not living to enjoy and appreciate this moment, well, what the hell was it all for? Right. If best case scenario is you have 10 acres of grass 150 years from now that's undeveloped because of you, you better hope that you spent your life doing something that you loved because that doesn't sound like a great prize to me. <laughs> and nobody even knows where you are. <laughs> right. You don't even get there. a name. You don't even have a, you don't even have like a little rock with his name on nothing. And so, hey, it's, you know, he's, but he's got that patch of grass. So. And, and the only reason that I knew that was because I went to the bar across the street and I was wondering like, why is there all of this grass there that's nobody's done anything with? And I had to look it up and I found out. So let's get into the do zone diagnostic. How about it? Perfect. Excellent. So five rapid fire questions. First thing that comes to mind. Number one, what's one thing you do, Gregory, that keeps you focused on your goals? Meditate every single day. Love it. And number two, what? how do you get back on track when you lose that focus? My afternoon walk around the neighborhood is undefeated in helping me get back on track and feel better. Undefeated. 100 no. I love it. Who is your support group and how do they keep you accountable? I have a support group of friends in Solana Beach where I live who I've met recently who are coaches breathwork facilitators, dietitians, health coaches, they help a lot. But I would say that it's my own coach that I hire really helps keep me accountable. Okay. And how do you approach a difficult project that you're not sure how to complete? I think the only way to approach a difficult project, especially if I'm not sure how to complete it, is to 
take a first step in any direction and see what I learned from that first step and how to go forward. Hmm. And what's the number one pro tip that you would give to someone looking to get more stuff done in less time? I would ask, why are you trying to get more stuff done in less time and drill into that? But that's because I'm a coach. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Follow up the question with a question. I like it. So, uh, Gregory, one thing I I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your, uh, you have a podcast as well, and I want to learn about more about you and what you do, but first I want to talk about comfort. And there's a, uh, there's a YouTube channel called, uh, yes theory. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a, it's a bunch of dudes that, uh, go around and basically they have to say yes to things no matter how uncomfortable they are. And they have these shirts and they have their catchphrase, which is seek discomfort. And that has always stood out to me, seek discomfort, because it's only in the spots where you're uncomfortable that you grow. I go to the gym at six o'clock in the morning, waking up at 515 is uncomfortable. Doing that extra rep when I'm exhausted and my muscles are burning is uncomfortable. Sitting here on a podcast after an entirely full day working on other stuff, talking to this amazing dude here, it's uncomfortable because my brain is like tapioca pudding, but it needs to be done and I'm doing it and I'm growing because of it. So I want to talk to you about comfort. Why do you feel like comfort is killing us? And how do we come around and think, fix that? I'm so glad you asked me this question. I am a huge fan of seeking voluntary discomfort. And the first thing I'll say, I have heard of Yes Theory. I have one of their hats. It says seek discomfort on it. I wear it on all of my runs. Yes. And I'm also, I help lead a community called Men and Women of Discomfort. It's a global community now where we are a group of individuals who voluntarily and actively seek discomfort to build character, to become better versions of ourselves, and ultimately to prepare ourselves to handle the discomfort that is involuntary. When the hard things come our way that we don't get to decide if we want to engage in or not, when the storm of life comes our way, that's what we're prepping for. And so when I hear comfort is killing us, I definitely think of Michael Easter's book, The Comfort Crisis which is phenomenal for anyone who hasn't read it. I would highly recommend checking it out. But what comes up for me is that discomfort is inevitable. It's one of life's only guarantees. And if you're uncomfortable with getting uncomfortable, I think you're at a disadvantage. Whereas if you actively seek it out and become the type of person who can do hard things, you are at such an advantage, whether it's getting stuff done, starting a business, writing a book, just having difficult conversations with people. I think it's Tim Ferriss who says you can typically measure the success of someone by the amount of uncomfortable conversations they're willing to have. And so to me, discomfort, it's everything. Hmm. Become the type of person who can do hard things. That's what you said. Yes. Just now. And 
And I, I agree with that a hundred percent. It, it, it falls in line with, uh, there's a book on my shelf back here called the miracle equation with Hal Elrod and, uh, Hal is talking about uh, setting big goals and he's very particular. And, uh, he, this is a, this is a phrase I, uh, repeat almost daily in my conversations be committed to the outcome, not necessarily the timeline. Don't worry. Set set a big goal, but don't worry if you hit the goal or not. Focus instead on becoming the type of person who can hit that goal. And if you become the type of person who can hit that goal, those are the types of people who get who hit those goals. And so eventually you will hit it. And so what you're saying as a variation of that is if you can become the type of person who can do our hard things, you're at an advantage because most people don't want to do it. Can you summarize very briefly something, some nugget from the comfort crisis? I imagine I have not read this book, but I imagine it has something to do with the fact that we are all constantly trying to find this homeostasis and the lack of seeking that discomfort is leading to our early demise. That's my, that's my assumption, but please correct me if I'm wrong on that. You're correct. The rising rates of depression, anxiety, loneliness, all of the bad maladies that we're facing are caused from this temperature controlled world we live in where everything is easy. You just press a button and it's there. We were built as humans to overcome challenges. And when we don't have that, so many of us are lacking meaning and purpose because life has become too easily, too easy, to be honest. I I love this. And, and I'm just, I'm actually, I'm just writing that down. So many of us are lacking meaning and purpose. Uh, and so is there some particular inspiration that has taken you down this path aside from, okay, you read the five regrets of the dying and this has challenged you to seek discomfort and you're diving deep into this. Who do you help? Who, who is somebody who is really going to resonate with you that you can make an, a huge impact on? Yeah. As I answer that, let me speak to the first part of the question, which was why am I so inspired by this? Yeah, I tend, because... to, I tend to just kind of throw out a bunch of arrows and hope that you'll catch one. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Why seeking discomfort and doing hard things was so attractive to me? It wasn't at first, but it was after I did something that I had previously labeled as impossible. And then I came back to my life. I realized two things. One, I realized that all the feelings of not being good enough, not being smart enough, not being business savvy enough, all of those things didn't matter. If I was able to do this really hard thing, I kind of proved myself. And the other thing is once you do something that you've previously labeled as impossible, you come back to your life and you look at it and you're like, wow, what else can I do? Like mm -hmm. all my old goals are way too small. I need to update them. I need to aim higher. And it really goes back to this. There's a Alex Hermosi quote about you don't gain self-confidence by shouting affirmations in the mirror. You overcome your self-doubt by 
building an irrefutable stack of evidence that you are who you say you are. It's something along the lines of that. I butchered it, but you do the work over and over and over again. And that's why I have a sign on my wall behind me that says, do the work. Because if you consistently do the work, you do the hard things, you start to either disprove the inner critic, that self-doubt, the voice in your head. He either shuts up or if he keeps talking, it doesn't really matter because you know you're just going to keep doing the thing over and over again. Yeah, that's super powerful. You know, I've never really been one to shout affirmations in the in the mirror. Right. Uh, but I have certainly had my challenges with self-confidence uh, over the years. And that old me always creeps back up every once in a while. It's not as strong as it was, but it never really goes away. That That me that just didn't feel like he was worthy of you know, a healthy relationship or uh, a a good uh, income or status or respect, couldn't have a great body, you know, couldn't, couldn't travel. That's not meant for you. All of those things, they always are there. They always creep up. But just as you said, the more evidence that I stack up, the more I realize, you know what? It doesn't matter. You you stay over there. You keep talking, buddy. I'm going to go and live my life because I don't want to have those five regrets <laughs> on, my, on my deathbed. Yeah. Is that how it worked for you? It was getting to the point where you had the stack of evidence and you could not listen to the voice as much anymore? It has to be. You know, I've never really thought about it uh, before today, to be honest. Uh, but you're really you're really making my gears turn on this. Uh, you know, I went through a decade of being convinced that I was a loser and that I was never going to amount to anything at all. And I believed that even though I wanted to get out of it, I still believed it. And so while I was believing it and, uh, you know, I picked up a shovel and I went to work and, mm -hmm. And that belief system kept kept me there in this cycle for a long, long, long time. And then one day something hit and I boosted up immediately. I'm like, oh, cool. And then it went back down. And then boom, something else hit and it was bigger. Oh, nice. And I went back down, but I didn't go back down to where I was. It was just a little bit above it. And then it kept stair-stepping like that to where I started looking around and I said, you know, I'm nowhere near any of the people that I was spending my time with or that I knew I had catapulted so far above them that it didn't even make sense for me to go back down there. I don't belong there anymore. So I just kept going. Mm. Uh, and and i and i think you know back back to what you're saying here it's like that voice is still there i haven't forgotten where i came from i haven't forgotten the people that i was around and the way that they thought and the way that they operated and their victimhood i haven't forgotten that it's still there and it's intoxicating it's alluring it's hard to escape but as I stack and I stack and I stack, it starts to make less sense for me to go back there. Like, nah, dude, I don't need to be there anymore. I'm fine here. It's different, 
but it's definitely better. Yeah. Joe Rogan says building a mountain with layers of paint. And I love what you said there. What really resonated with me that you shared is you said, I just picked up a shovel and I got to work. Like that is it, I think, regardless of how you're feeling, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your excuses and everything that's going on, just pick up the shovel, start digging a hole. <laughs> yep. That's right, man. Awesome. So tell us about the Dare to Dream podcast. Absolutely. The Dare to Dream podcast started in July of 2020 when I quit my job in finance. My co-host, Vinny, one of my best friends in the whole world, he quit his job in real estate. And we wanted to create an honest and unfiltered look into what is that actually like to go from the corporate nine to five, being successful on paper as young men to trying to figure out what it is that lights our soul on fire. What are the things that we were put on this earth to do and all of the existential grappling that comes with that. And so first 30 episodes were just him and I. Then we started having guests on who had interesting life stories about finding their passion and all of the different chapters that unfolded throughout that journey of theirs. And now we're in kind of a mixed phase of episodes with him and I, episodes with guests, but it's all about challenging people to embark on the adventure of their life. And as you heard me mention earlier, or you actually mentioned it in my bio, that's what I'm all about. It's like, what do you really want to do with your life? And what's getting in the way? There's that quote, everything you want in life is on the other side of fear. And I think that's so true. Fear is a great starting point. Fear is also a great compass. It points to the things that matter enough to you to scare you. And it's usually where you're getting stuck and where you're coming up against it. So the Dare to Dream podcast is all about exploring that, exploring meaning and fulfillment, and also telling epic stories so people have alternatives to finance, lawyer, doctor, accountant. Like there's more out there than just that. Awesome. I love that. And we can find it on Spotify and Apple. And a lot of other platforms, but yeah. And a lot of other platforms. Too. Awesome. And uh, where can people go to connect with you better? Yeah, the best place to connect with me would be probably my website, gregoryrussellbenedict.com. We'll put this in the show notes, I'm sure. Benedict is spelled with a K. And you can book a free discovery call with me. I'm super, super curious. So the discovery call will be me just asking questions about what are your biggest dreams? Maybe you have no idea what your dreams are and that's okay. That's a great starting place. And then figuring out what's stopping you and what do you want to do about it? Excellent. Uh, and uh, who's the who's the best person to connect with you? So we've got somebody out there. What's uh, who should connect with you, and what what kind of results should they expect? What comes to mind, especially with your with your audience, is probably a lot of people who listen to this who love getting stuff done. They love doing the work, but really, people who know that they're capable of more. So if you're out there and your life is good, but it's not extraordinary. You know you're capable of more. You've always wanted to take it to the next level, but you're feeling stuck, stagnant, like there's something missing. We need to talk. Those are the kind of people I get most excited about helping. They're already doing well. Maybe they're already a high achiever, but they know there's more and they want that story worth telling. Awesome. 
Well, we're going to wrap from here. Thanks so much to our guest, Gregory Benedict, for joining us and sharing some wisdom about how he gets stuff done and how to not regret your life when it's over. You can connect with him directly by going to GregoryRussellBenedict.com. That's Benedict with a K. You can also check him out at the Dare to Dream podcast on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms. Once again, if you want to keep hearing great content like this, be sure to follow and subscribe to the Do Zone podcast also on Apple or Spotify. If you're looking to break through the next level with your business, but you just don't have the time or the tools to do so on your own, we've got your back. Go to unbreakableteams.com now to learn more. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Share this episode with a friend. Screenshot it and add it to your Instagram stories. Smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever works best for you. If you're looking to crush your goals this year and level up your team, we're here to help. To learn more about how our scientifically backed process can increase your company's productivity by up to 300%, head over to unbreakableteams.com. That's unbreakableteams.com.